tell me about cool Jewish things you've been up to. So my community organization is having like some staff shakeups and the executive director uh, went, is leaving. He's leaving. And so I did karaoke instead of going to shul. Which Beautiful. I feel kind of bad about, but also I got to sing What's Up <laughs> by Four Non Blondes really badly. <laughs> Uh, any cool Jewish stuff in your life? Yes. So I have a new Jewish job, um, relatively speaking, which is that I am now teaching Jewish children about Judaism, which is great and exciting. Heck yeah. Yeah. And also, I went to services on Friday nights, both like uh, this week and last week. And last week, I was at like a queer trans Shabbat type thing, and I made a new friend. Yay. Uh, then we met up again on Friday and went to a different Shabbat service, which is very fun. <laughs> um, so, like, apparently these are the the type of things that are just part of my life now. It's how I make friends. She's new to town, which is why I took her to a different Shabbat service. Too. Yes, you should so meet good. more things. Yeah. What are the, like, two types of Shabbat services that you went to? So the first one was at the synagogue that I work for, and it's a pretty classic reform service, I would say. There is music and instruments and singing and people of all different ages and a pretty small group. And Mm. the second one is a group called Shir Hamalot, which meets in Brooklyn once a month. It's this independent minion type deal. And it's really focused around beautiful singing. Um, And it's probably more in the sort of style of the conservative movement. It doesn't use instruments. It's just voice. Um, But it is like really beautiful. And it's often got a bunch of people there who are young or queer or interesting and I really enjoy going there. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, that sounds kind of like a reconstructionist service that I went to once. Yeah. Except for that had a lot of old people. Yeah, there are not really old people at this one. Although it was very funny because I told my new friend to meet me there. And she texted and was like, Jazz, there are a lot of old people in this one and it seems really straight. And is this where you meant to direct me to? Because <laughs> I have questions. And I was like, uh, no. And what? Um, and then it turned <laughs> out that she had gone into the service downstairs. Like they had pointed her towards the regular service. Oh. And in fact, we were upstairs in the not regular service. One, two, three. Kosher Queers, a podcast with at least two Jews and generally more than three opinions. Each week we bring you queer takes on Torah, they're Jazz, and she's Lulav, and today we're going to talk about Bereshit. Great! Bereshit is a really, really long Torah portion. Like, I didn't realize (laughs) there was so much happening all in this one Torah portion. So 
I'm gonna try and summarize it for you really, really fast, and then we're gonna go through it more slowly and at more length. Lulav, will you time me? So yeah, you asked me for 30 seconds. Are you sure? Do you mean, do I need more time? That might be a little short. It's like a little short. I'm going to do my best (laughs) because I gave you 30 seconds last time and you were like, this is easy and did it in like 20 seconds. I said two sentences. (laughs) So I'm going to give you 45 seconds. Okay. And unlike Hashem, I will not set you up to fail (laughs) in certain things. We'll get to that. Anyway, 45 seconds, go. So it's the beginning of everything and God creates uh, heavens and the earths and the water and land and fruit and trees and then people. And then there is a second creation story right after that where there are people and they are in a garden and uh, a man is created first and then a woman and... Uh, There's some questions about that, but then um, they are in a garden and they eat fruit that they're not supposed to because a snake tells them to and they listen and then they get thrown out of the garden and then they have to work forever and uh, will now (laughs) die, but they also know things, which is great. And then they have kids and then the kids uh, fight each other and one of them dies and then that the remaining brother is left to... Okay. And there's a little bit more after that. And then there's a little bit more after that. There's not that much more after that. Most of what's after that is a lot of chronologies of people are born and then grow up to have more children. Yeah, that was impressive. Like, I think I would have taken 60 seconds to do the same. So good job. Great. I probably could have done it in 45 if I'd cut out the color commentary. But, you know, what are we if we're not color commentary? Listen, it's good. So we should do a longer discussion about the Parsha, kind of like we did in the pilot, where I summarize things and you ask questions. You're going to summarize things at length, and I will ask questions. Right. Great. So, okay, actually, in the beginning, (laughs) there is this chaos and darkness and it's actually kind of like Isaiah in that respect that they start with this idea of there's darkness and then God comes and says let there be light and then there's this whole section of God dividing things up dividing day from night and dividing waters from heavens and then creating land beneath some of those waters and in the middle of the waters and then putting trees and plants on the land and then adding lights which is kind of an interesting thing because we already had day and night but now we get stars i guess sun and moon and stars and stuff we actually we had light but we didn't have sun or moon there it's like not totally clear where the light comes from i think it's implied that it's like god's light directly at that point okay and i will say that there is a note here already with this division that god called the light day and the darkness night and there was evening and there was morning the first day and so they do have this setup of evening and then morning which is the way that jewish days work that they start in the evening and then go through the night until the following evening. Cool. Rather than like secular days that go from uh, morning until night. Well, okay. And then animals are created and then humans are created. And then God gives all of the plants and animals 
to the humans and said they belong to you and then god rests yeah so how do you feel about adam being charged with dominion over living things well i do question actually a little bit the idea that it is per se adam or eve or adam or chava who are Uh given dominion in this particular instance because we don't get their names until the following creation story and there's like this first creation story and then the second one so like definitely humans are given dominion not necessarily those specific people yeah no that's what i meant by saying adam yeah okay it's a little confusing how like life man thing and a specific mythological figure are referred to by the same word but you know whatever thank you for that clarification Right. But I feel complicated about it is the real answer (laughs) because this translation, the reform one that I'm using here, Mm -hmm. does it as be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and tame it, hold sway over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every animal that creeps on the earth. Um, And I don't know, like all of those things predated (laughs) humans, like both in real geologic time as we know it and even in the creation story like they come first and then humans get control over it yeah also in the nrsv translation because we love to talk about translations we do it says be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it rather than tame it uh and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds you know all that stuff so yeah That's a translation, and I'm not sure, because as previously mentioned, I don't know Biblical Hebrew, not sure which phrasing I would prefer for the original text. Mm -hmm. I didn't look it up, so Chabad also uses subdue it. I would guess that Reform used tame it partially because it sounds kinder. Um, (laughs) But I don't know specifically what that word is, and I haven't that although we can maybe come back to it for next week like i could do that research oh yeah continuity yeah so one thing that i want to point out before we get into the second creation biblical scholars think that these were written by two groups of people yeah the first creation was like Sorry, was this the thing that you were going to talk about? Um, I'm happy for you to talk about it. Okay. I just wanted us to bring it up at some point. Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. So the first one is like the story that people have been telling. And the second one was written specifically in the period where Judaism is centered around like the temple and the priesthood. Ooh. And so the way that they're writing it, like... It conceives of the way that things are structured in society as natural by saying that the natural creation of things implied how society is now constructed. Hmm. Is the complicated way I will phrase that. So anyway, in the first creation, the name Elohim is used for God. Uh Uh-huh. And in the second creation, you get the name Elohim or just the name Mm-hmm. which it's a name that doesn't actually get explained until later <laughs> in Shemot. But yeah, my question, because yes. I'm asking questions and not making statements. Uh-huh. 
is how did the variety of names that get translated as God affect how you see the God that's being discussed in these stories? Oh, that's such a good question. And that's not necessarily something you have to answer now. It could be like, as we're reading through the second creation, you can be like, I have these opinions. (laughs) Yes. Well, I have lots of opinions and I'm happy to come back to them. But to start with, I think that thinking about names is a really interesting thing to do from both a like Jewish and queer perspective because God is given a bunch a bunch of names throughout all of our tradition some of which come up here and some of which don't but that God has both a bunch of names and that we record so many names is a fascinating thing mm-hmm. and also that God is called the name implies that a name itself holds a lot of power and dignity and we see names given a lot of importance and naming things being given a lot of importance throughout all of this text and even we're getting like a teeny bit ahead of ourselves mm-hmm. but but so later in this same passage we move next to the uh, second creation story for this, which is that in the second creation story, they name all of the animals and birds and decide Hmm. what they are called. Yeah. And also, I learned recently that one of the sort of appellations that is used for God is Hamakom, which is the place in addition to Hashem, which is the name. And that there are others, of course, as well. Like in the High Holidays, we say Avinu Malkenu, like our father, our king. Um, though you can translate them, should you want to, more as like our parent, our ruler, which some do in the, in the more gender-neutral versions mm. of it, um, just because it's not possible to have fully non-gendered words in Hebrew. So, um, But we just have a lot of terminology and lots of ways to think about God and the understanding that it is appropriate at different times to use different terminology because how you talk about something and the words you use to refer to something is so, so important. And that's like a thing that I think resonates a lot for, you know, maybe those of us who also picked our own names or those of us... I know it certainly does for me. Yeah. And also for me in some ways speaks to the power of not just names, but names that can be really different depending on circumstances or in terms of thinking about the type of terminology that I use for myself, like that there Mm -hmm. are times when it's really important for me to clarify that the thing I am is bisexual. And there are times where I'm like, yeah, I'm just gay. It's fine. Like, (laughs) (laughs) um, and, and to know that I can like hold both of those things simultaneously, depending on like who I'm trying to communicate with and when I'm trying to communicate. Neither of those things is like a lie it's just situationally dependent an abundance of names is a good and jewish thing yeah yeah (laughs) i'm gonna continue with this summary so that i can more fully answer your question bless you when we move into the second creation story we start getting water and rain and that's going to be a real through way throughout this whole like Torah. They talk a lot about the importance of water and rain. And, mm. um, and then there's this beautiful actually rendition of this that says 
Then God Eternal fashioned the man, dust from the soil, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, so that the man became a living being. Which is this yeah. beautiful des- description of we are the earth and we are connected to the earth, and also we are alive, and that's the only thing that makes us different from the earth. Which is a fascinating yeah. uh, uh, departure from, like, and then you will subdue and tame it, or whatever. <laughs> um, and then there's this very loving and luscious description of beautiful trees and delicious fruit and gorgeous rivers and, like, abundance in the garden. Mm-hmm. And they're allowed to eat any of the garden except from the tree of knowledge. And then we get this beautiful line again of, it is not good that the man be alone. And so the reason that then all of these animals get names is it is testing to see whether they are suitable life partners. Like, yeah. do, do our names, like, work together? But they are not because they are animals. And then uh, another human is created out of the first human. Hmm. Um, so can I just point out, yeah. like, Chava and Chaya are two verbs that sound kind of similar and they relate to life and breath. Yes. So like that's the name that gets translated in English as Eve. Yeah. Uh, is Chava. And so the creation of the man and the thing that he later names the woman are both related to breath and also just existence, mm-hmm. which are two similar sounding words. Well, and she gets named that specifically because she is going to be the mother of all that is living. And so they, mm-hmm. she does not get a name until she's about to leave the garden. Before we move on to chapter three, do you feel like the non-priestly or the priestly creation story tickles your storyteller's fancy more? Like, which which of these has more room for midrash to your mind? I think there's a lot more going on in the story in the garden where we have characters and a setting mm-hmm. than the sort of story of creation as creation out of nothing (laughs) i think you know you can make stuff out of nothing but i am more interested in small moments amid small nuances and things that can happen in that story cool yeah what about you so i really like what you said like there are a lot of names and things that are happening in the priestly account which like a that's great for storytelling B, there are certain things kind of baked in that are like telling their own story with their own morals that I am less fond of. Mm. Like the whole creation, you know, male and female, he created them. Yes, although I think there is still an interesting point to be made. There was a rabbinic argument about Mm -hmm. if Chava comes out of Adam's body, what does that make Adam before Chava comes out? Right? Mm. Like, there is a parallel to birth happening there, Mm -hmm. even in the placement of coming from the rib, and that there is an argument, therefore, to be made that until Chava is born or is present or is created, that we don't have a man or a woman, or Mm -hmm. at the very least, we have both. So yeah, I think I'm coming down solidly on the side of there's so much more storytelling potential in the latter. Great. Also, I just want to do a quick shout out to listeners. If you write us like a flash fiction based on any of this, I will love you forever. Um, No, I won't. That is an overbearing promise, but I will read it. Um, (laughs) And I will like it and I will possibly read it on air. Yeah. 
Um, great. Okay, but let me finish the summary. So they're in the garden. Chava's created. They're not ashamed of their bodies, which is rad. Mm-hmm. Then there is a serpent. There's a snake, and the snake says to them, you can eat the fruit and kind of rules lawyers them into it by being confusing about wording saying like did god say you can't do this well what about this what about this and then clearly you can do anything is that more rules lawyering or like explaining the consequences of the actions Mm, i would say that it is deliberate obfuscation. Like it feels to me a little bit like the way someone reads you confusing fine print and you were like, I thought I understood what was going on, but now clearly I don't understand what's going on. So uh, I guess, sure. Okay. Like, because the text pretty clearly says you're not supposed to eat of it. And then the snake is like, well, but... You can touch it, probably, and if you you can touch it, that means you can probably eat it, and uh, so why don't you, like, just try touching it first, and, like, confuses her into it, I would argue. Okay. Again, if you listeners disagree with me, uh, fight me. Write in and fight me. Um... So, okay, and then they both eat the fruit, and then they're like, oh no, God is gonna find us, and then they hide, and God's like, you can't hide from me, what are you doing? And the humans are like, well, the serpent tricked us into it. Mm, nope, sorry, I'm not gonna let the man off the hook. Adam says, <laughs> Chava tricked me into it, and Chava said, the serpent tricked me into it. So everybody blames somebody with less power than them, uh, classic. Mm-hmm. And then the serpent is condemned to be... Okay, so it says that the the serpent is condemned to crawl on your belly and eat dust all of the days of your life, which implies that before that, the snake had legs, which is wild. Which, yeah, I mean, snakes still have tiny leg bones. Okay, all right. Um... <laughs> Uh, and then they are, and then they are condemned to farm and have pain bearing children. Mm-hmm. And that is when Chava gets her name. So two questions. Yeah. The first one is not actually a question, but I just wanted to say that the concept of a fruit you can eat that gives you social anxiety is hilarious to me. <laughs> Fluoxetine is like that, but in reverse. Um. Yeah. Second question. Yeah, why does Chava get cursed with birth pains and heterosexuality? But Adam, whose big boo-boos were following peer pressure and snitching, gets cursed with weeds, which affects women too. Um, This is just fundamentally unfair. That is uh, deeply unfair. Yes, a great question. Um, I will say, though, that, like, in the beginning of this story Adam like gets to create a whole new person which is Chava and he never gets to do that again only Chava gets to do that and Mm. there is that but yeah um which actually reminds me I'm double checking in case I am completely wrong (laughs) but I think there's the implication since we brought up names earlier that Chava names their children let's see it's unclear in the first one because it doesn't say who names them it says she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain saying both I and the eternal have made a man she then continued giving birth to his brother Abel 
But after the Cain and Abel story, which we'll come back to in a second, there's this note that says she bore a son and gave him the name Seth. So it implies that now that she's doing the childbirth stuff, that she gets to name people. Cool. The NRSV translation of that line is, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Wild. (laughs) Just like Chava flourishing. I've produced a man. (laughs) (laughs) It does sound very much like now now we're farmers and now we grow people in the fields or whatever. (laughs) It's also very funny because they acknowledge that Adam had to be there for their children to exist, but they don't care about him. It's just like both I and God made this happen. That's so valid. Great. Yeah. Even when cursed with heterosexuality, you don't need to give in. Even when. Okay, so then they have two kids. They have Cain and Abel, and one of them becomes a shepherd, and one of them is a farmer. Abel's a Mm -hmm. shepherd, Cain is a farmer, and they bring sacrificial offerings, I guess. Interesting that we sort of have sacrifice already, and (laughs) God likes Abel and doesn't like Cain, and Cain is real mad about it because he wants to be the favorite sibling. They're having like a favorite child debate, like a sibling rivalry, but with God, and God is like, maybe you should try chilling out. And then instead, Cain kills his brother. So not to be Perchik from Fiddler on the Roof. Uh Uh-huh. But the interpretation that I have on that story is that both of them are providing like, here's the stuff that we made. And Hashem just likes the, you know, fatty offerings of meat more. Like that's what he gives regard to. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard is what the NRS V says. Mm. So my question for this bit is, can we get a shout out for people doing unglamorous but necessary work? Yes. Amazing. The farmers are as important as the shepherds. And likewise, we need sanitation workers and like caregivers and stuff just because it's not. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think that's a fair offering. I have also seen a rabbinic interpretation that says basically mm-hmm. it's because like, okay, the Chabad translation has it as Cain brought the fruit of the soil an offering to the Lord and Abel, he too brought the firstborn of his flocks and of their fattest. And there is this implication that Abel brought the best he had and Cain just kind of brought something that okay. it is a, a little bit like being like, hey, why did you like his school project better than me? And it's like, well, because he put effort and time into his school project and you did it in like five minutes right before class. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure about the fruit of the ground. I assume that was just like ye old timey phrasing, but that that is also an interpretation that makes sense. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, I wish I could remember which rabbinic interpretation that came from so I could properly cite my sources, but I will try and find it and put that in notes somewhere or come back with it next week, maybe. Yeah. Okay. But nevertheless, yeah, shout out to people who don't do as well regarded work. Small additional point, which is, I don't know if you were also going to say this, but there is this moment where like God is acting a little bit almost like it vibes therapisty. <laughs> like, he goes, why are you so angry? Or why are you annoyed? And like, why are you upset? Like, just tell me what's going yeah. on. And that's kind of sweet. I don't think that happens very often. <laughs> okay, sorry. Back to the real summary. Abel is dead. God says, you have to wander from place to place. You won't be able to farm properly. And King 
says, you can't do that. That's too hard of a punishment. And anybody who finds me might kill me. And God says, well, I'll put a mark on your head so nobody will kill you. They'll know that you're protected. Do you have any questions? Because I feel like there's an obvious question here. I don't until like chapter six. So go ahead with your thing. Okay, my one question here, which I I don't have a real, real answer to, but I do want to point out is like, who exactly is going to kill him? The remaining people <laughs> left on Earth are his parents. Yeah, there's an odd combination of like focus on these organisms as the only people who exist, but also it's people who live in a time when there are humans all over the place writing. Yeah about humans and so like there's just the assumption that oh yeah there are humans over there but they're not like the humans we just don't talk about them yeah like what he's like what if i go to a city and they kill me and you're like there's a city where who what (laughs) (laughs) um okay and and also because it goes kane then was intimate with his wife right like he has a wife now all right anyway And then they have a lot of children, like not the two of them, but there is this line of, and then there's this son, and then this son had this son, and and some of them have special skills, and they mention, like, this one was really good at playing the lute. And, (laughs) um, and then we... Oh, Jubilee! That's where Jubilee comes from, huh? Yes! Jabal was the ancestor of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Okay. Yeah! Love it. Okay, and then we hop back, presumably many, many years, back to Adam and Chava, who have another son, Seth, to replace Abel, and he has kids, too. (laughs) That's the whole thing, except that then we get Seth's whole line of descendants for a really long time, who all live, like, hundreds and hundreds of years, and some of them are really holy and important. Shout out to Methuselah, who is the oldest person in the Bible, whose name we get, who is 969. Nice. Yeah. Anyway, and then Methuselah's son is Lamech, and Lamech's son is Noah, and that's our, like, setup our cliffhanger for the story of Noah. (laughs) Noah lives in a world where the people are being terrible, but Noah's okay. Also, the Nephilim are there. We get like a minute of the Nephilim being there and they're like (laughs) angelic kind of. We don't get a really good description of the Nephilim, except that they are not human and they have children with humans. Yeah. Do you have any opinions on how this relates to any of the rest of this? It's deeply confusing. So I like that we get people's names. I had no idea the story of Noah showed up in this first chapter. (laughs) The Nephilim are really interesting as a thing that pop up for like a minute. My text has notes about they maybe being something that they picked up from the Greeks, like some... Mm. Thing that correlates to mythical Greek heroes or something. Yeah, that makes sense. But, like, it's cool that we get a lot of people's names. I don't know why they live for hundreds of years. Like, right? I don't know what the implication <laughs> of that is. And, like, okay, I am willing to go with time is fake. Uh, we work <laughs> on, like, we work on queer time. We, like, the, you know, we like, just measure things weirdly. Like, it's not linear. It's, it's fine, oh. but... Yeah, Methuselah was just a party animal. Every time that somebody wants to have a party, that's the birthday. Yeah, sure. (laughs) So he just partied hardier. Uh Uh-huh. He was the Andrew W.K. of, 
Yeah. Uh, you attain mythic enough status and you can just kind of say whatever. One of those things where every time somebody asks you how old you are, you add another 10 years out of spite or whatever. Um, <laughs> no, but I don't know why they're this old. I don't know what it signifies. I'm sure that somebody has done like interesting gematria on it of like counting up <laughs> yeah. different things, but I'm not familiar with any. I tried to when I was like 12 and didn't know about gematria. Yeah. And I was like, interesting. I can find nothing because I'm 12. Yeah. Also, just for explanation of my terms, gematria is like this practice of adding up the value of like different letters. The way in English you might go like A is one and B is two and then count up to see what words are the way like teachers sometimes do with like inspirational phrases, you know, to be like (laughs) this gets you to 100% because these letters have this value. Jewish writers and scholars have been doing with the, like, well, Adam's name is these letters and these Hebrew letters have this value and Chava's name is these letters and these names have this value and so that means that one of them had a bigger numerical value and that means (laughs) something. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I just want to go back to the Nephilim for one second. Mm -hmm. Did you ever read Many Waters by Madeline Langle? I did, and that is my primary association with the Nephilim. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so I reread that kind of recently, like in the last two or three years, because I didn't remember anything about it. And I still don't. I so That was a wild book. It is a wild book. Her books were like a really important part of my childhood and they get yeah. kind of more Christian as I get older and reread them. Yeah. Which is kind of disappointing to me because I really liked them and I'm not thrilled about the Christianity. Um yeah. or Christianity. Um <laughs> Anyway, but my recollection of the Nephilim in there is that they're like evil angels and that there are also good angels who don't produce children because they don't have sex with humans and um, Mm. that the Nephilim are evil angels and so they do, but humans like can't really tolerate it and usually die in childbirth. And they create like evil humans and there is maybe some implication that that's part of what's going on in Noah's time is that the Nephilim had children with humans and evil humans were created. Okay, so we got four more verses. Can you summarize them for us? Right. Okay. The last bit is, no, the last bit is about the Nephilim. The last bit is like, then there were Nephilim and then they saw there were evil people on earth and then God regretted having made humans and... God was like, I could wipe them all out and kill them all, commit xenocide, but I kind of like Noah. <laughs> so that's the end. That's where we end. That's our cliffhanger for the next, <laughs> for the next Parsha. That is how we begin the year. <sighs> <laughs> yeah. A question from my friend Annabelle. Why do all the other animals need to be blotted out if it's humans that are wicked? Ooh, Okay. Like, so the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings I have created, people together with animals and creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Hmm. I, this is a really good question. I wonder if it's related to the thing we were talking about earlier, where we were feeling uncomfortable about humans being given dominion over the earth, Mm -hmm. and the idea that, like, kind of 
the buck stops there, right? Like, <laughs> if anybody's doing bad things, it's the people at the top of the hierarchy who are responsible for it. But then also everybody in the hierarchy is affected by it. So, mm-hmm. no, I don't... Maybe that's not a good answer. Because then you would still want to say, like, wipe out the humans. I mean, that is an answer. Yeah. Which is that everybody's implicated in the misaction of the rulers. Yeah. But that seems really unfair. Like, if you go back to more modern sources and modern times, like, we wouldn't go with that. We wouldn't say that, like, the rich are doing terrible things and therefore everybody should suffer. But I will say Mm -hmm. there is a certain amount of practical things to think about here because the next thing that's going to happen is the flood. And considering that we live in a world of climate change and the example Mm -hmm. I used was, like, we shouldn't all suffer because the rich are terrible. Uh, We are going to all suffer because the rich are terrible. Like, the earth is going to flood because some people made really cruel decisions. So maybe there is sort of a, like, well, like, we succeed or fail together. One thing that I want to mention before we go to the rating is just, like, the way that some of our Dvarim are like, this is what should be true, this is what is just, and some interpretations are like, this is just what happens. Yeah. And, hey, maybe that's not great. So do you have a rating scale for me? Yes. Oh, actually, welcome to Rating God's Writing, where we take... The Parsha, and we give it a rating. Yeah, I will give you a scale, and then you'll rate it, and then you'll give me a different scale, and I'll rate it. Mm -hmm. Okay, out of seven humans who exist, even though I am supposedly the first human ever, (laughs) how many humans would you you give this Parsha? I would give it six humans, because one of the humans that exists over there and we just don't talk about, (laughs) despite the fact that I'm the first human ever, just has really bad morals in the stories that he's telling. Everybody else can stay, though. Great. Okay. So six out of seven humans that, wait, where did they come from? (laughs) Uh, your rating scale is out of 969 parties. Uh-huh. Okay. Out of 969 parties, I would give this Parsha maybe 769, because there is a lot going on in this chapter, and that seems like bad writing to cram all of mm-hmm. your, like, stories into one. Like, you really needed to get all of it done in the beginning. Like, we could spread this out, have some filler text. <laughs> Yeah. Can you imagine if we had like a three-year Parsha cycle with the same length of readings for each one? Yeah. We would have so many seasons. I know. I know. If we make it through a year, we'll talk about what we do next. Yeah. So, questions from the audience. We, uh... Today is the 14th of September. Yeah, we asked people right before we started recording also so maybe we'll see about getting more questions once we you know have actually released an episode (laughs) um yeah so the one question that i made myself i handcrafted it from clay and breathed a little bit into it it's living and waving at you great speaking of blasphemy if you were the god of many names what would someone have to bring you to get your regard Ooh, I like the idea of being brought a new name. That sounds fun. That's really cute. Yeah, I also am maybe a sucker for that in general. I 
I have told you, but not our audience, that I'm going to be receiving a new Hebrew name soon mm. that I didn't pick out. Like, my parents picked it for me. And I like the idea of being brought names. Like, I think that's a great deal. That's so good. Also, I really love your description of God as the God of many names. Yeah. So my answer to the question Please. is a lot less profound. Okay. Bring me, like, a variety of nut butters. Oh, nice. Not to talk about peanut butter two episodes in a row, but... Okay, like, also you could bring me, like, not a, a firstborn of the flock, but, like, an already shorn and cleaned and, like, dyed and, like, really nice wool yarn. Mmm. Really on brand for you. Good. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Jazz, can you take us to the close? Yes. Okay. Thank you for listening to Kosher Queers. You can follow us on Twitter at Kosher Queers or like us on Facebook at Kosher Queers or email us your questions, comments, and concerns at kosherqueers at gmail.com. Our artwork is by the talented Lior Gross. Our music is courtesy of the fabulous band Brivilla, whose work you can find on Bandcamp. Go by their album. They're great. Our sound production is done by my lovely co-host, Lulav Arnau. Wee. I'm Jazz Twersky, and you can find me at WordNerdKnitter on Twitter. I recorded this audio on the traditional lands of the Lenape people. I'm Lula Varno, and you can find me at SpaceTruck6 on Twitter, or yell at me at PalmLiker. I recorded this audio on the traditional lands of the Wapekute and Anishinaabeg. I think we did it. We did it. Have a blessed Jewish day. Is that our sign-off? Hey. Hey.